Welcome to KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Monday, August 14th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, we'll look at ways scammers are targeting teens and tweens online. Then, CityCast Denver tackles the issue of who has the legal authority to restrict access to Colorado's mountains. After the BBC News headlines, we'll hear the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. Then, it's Storytellers of Color. Host Rosanna Longobetter will spend the program with Marcella Ley, a salsa dancer and instructor who has been teaching different styles of Latin dances to promote community, health, and culture. At 9 a.m., Counterspin will bring us a look at fairness and accuracy in reporting. Then, at 9.30, Ann Cantalo will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first, the headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. Colorado is launching its statewide e-bike rebate program this week. Eligible residents can begin the application process through the Colorado Energy Office's website from 9 a.m. this Wednesday to 1 p.m. next Monday. Some 2,000 participants will be randomly chosen to complete their application using proof of Colorado residency and proof of income requirements. If approved, residents will be eligible for e-bike rebates between $500 and $1,750. Program officials say their goal is to reduce car use and greenhouse gas emissions and get e-bikes into the hands of people who would otherwise not be able to afford them. The clock is ticking for Colorado wildlife officials who need to find gray wolves by the end of this year to fulfill the reintroduction plan voters approved back in 2020. The Denver Post reports officials are still in discussions with three potential wolf donor states, Washington, Oregon, and Montana. Two other states, Idaho and Wyoming, expressed concerns about Colorado Parks and Wildlife's requests for wolves. Both states cited difficulties with federal regulations for endangered species and conflicts over how to manage wolves, especially when they kill livestock. Under the management plan, Colorado Parks officials want to place between 30 and 50 wolves over the next five years. The wolves would be released in an area between Vail, Glenwood Springs, and the Roaring Fork Valley. The Trinidad area has seen its second bear attack in two weeks. This time, Colorado Parks and Wildlife officials are searching for a cinnamon-colored black bear that attacked an 82-year-old woman in her home. According to a press release, the victim told officials she awoke early Friday to the sound of crashing and her dog growling. She discovered a small bear in her mudroom where it scratched her on the legs. The woman quickly shut the doors to the room and the animal tore through a window screen to escape back outside. Officials say the bear is considered dangerous to humans. If caught, they plan to humanely euthanize the bear, which they believe to be a cub or yearling. The woman suffered minor injuries and declined medical attention. A well-known Colorado naturalist and environmental photographer has passed away. KGNU's Jack Armstrong has more. John Fielder died peacefully this past Friday, surrounded by loved ones in his home in Summit, Colorado. Fielder's work moved legislation and earned him accolades from the Sierra Club in 1993 and from the Aldo Leopold Foundation in 2011. Fielder donated his work to History Colorado earlier this year. 
making 7,000 photos of his sprawling 200,000 official photo collection available for public and commercial use. Fielder's work is also on display through the History Colorado Center in the collaborative exhibit Revealed, John Fielder's Favorite Place. Fielder's collection of photos can also be found at the History Colorado website. For KGNU, I'm Jack Armstrong. There were two separate helicopter rescues in Rocky Mountain National Park this weekend after three people fell. A 21-year-old woman died when she fell 300 feet climbing down the Flying Dutchman's steep gully between Longs Peak and Mount Meeker. The woman's partner, a 25-year-old man, also fell. He was transported by helicopter to a hospital with serious injuries. In a separate incident, a 64-year-old man fell 60 feet from the Keyhole Route area of Longs Peak and also was transported by helicopter with serious injuries to a hospital. A group held a rally this past Friday in Jefferson County seeking justice for a man who was shot in Edgewater. KGNU's Ivana Levis has the details. Community members rallied outside of the Jefferson County District Attorney's Office on Friday to call for action and transparency in the case of Adam Michael Fresquez, who was fatally shot May 3rd at a Tesla charging station in Edgewater Public Market. The Edgewater Police Department suspects the fatal shooting occurred after a road rage-induced argument. The confessed shooter left the scene and called authorities. No charges have been filed since the murder although the shooter has been interviewed by the police. Fresquez's mother, Lena Mendez, told the Denver Post that police released the suspect two hours after the incident. A spokesperson from the Denver Justice Project said they believe the police are treating the case differently due to the victim's race. The DA's office released a statement saying the case has not reached them as it is still under investigation by the Edgewater Police Department. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas. The Environmental Protection Agency has announced over $500,000 in funding to help Colorado with stormwater and sewer upgrades. KGNU's Jacob Agatston has the story. The EPA announced last week that nearly $50 million in grants was available through the Sewer Overflow and Stormwater Reuse Municipal Grant, or OSG, program. Of that, Colorado will receive $531,000 in grant funding. The EPA Regional Administrator, Casey Becker, said with this money, the EPA is helping Colorado address the threat of stormwater backups in underserved communities. The OSG program was created so small and financially distressed communities receive grant assistance at no cost to the community. States can apply for grant assistance, to fund projects that will help municipalities strengthen their stormwater and sewer systems against heavy rain events and prevent the polluting of waterways. For KGNU, I'm Jacob Agatston. Sunny with a light breeze today. In Boulder, a high near 78 and a low around 55. In Denver, a high around 80 and a low around 55. In Fort Collins, a high near 78 and a low around 52. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. You've probably heard awareness campaigns about online scams targeting seniors, but what about those aimed at teenagers? 
As teens and tweens grow up in digital spaces and join social media platforms, scammers are finding a new, younger audience. KGNU's Emily Cecilo has more. Social media use is a daily routine for many teenagers and young adults. But growing up with the internet doesn't mean that youths are immune to scams in digital spaces. Kaizeni is a high school sophomore. This account on Instagram followed me. It was like following other people and other people were following it. And I was like, might as well. Zaini recently suffered the consequences of online scams when an account he thought was trustworthy reached out to him on Instagram. It's like, oh, can I use one of your posts on Instagram for a collage I'm doing? And they were like, you'll get paid. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? This account looked like it belonged to a girl who makes art. The person would post their supposed artwork and stories with videos of themselves. They then sent Kai a picture of a $1,000 check. She's like, just take the check and then send me back the extra money I'd taken in. I'm like, I can't send you any money back because it's not in my account yet. And then the person like started to get aggressive was like, are you messing with me right now? And I was like, no, I swear I'm not. It just hasn't gone in yet. The scammers said that they had sent Kai $2,400 and started demanding Kai send what was from his own account, starting with increments of $100. The scammer paired these demands with threats and morbid photos, claiming that they knew where Kai lived and where he went to school. At this point, I was scared for, like, my life. I was real concerned, like, she would, like, come to my sister's school or, like, something like that or, like, find me in some way and stuff like that or, like, hurt my loved ones. The $2,400 arrived and Kai was ready to pay back all the money that was sent. After a few days, the bank had contacted him, telling him that the money was fake and deducted all the money he had sent and all the money he had gotten sent to him. Kai had gone through a random deposit scam or an overpayment scam, leaving his account in the negatives. Fairplay is an organization that seeks to protect kids from harmful online practices. Fairplay's campaign director, David Monahan, describes a few different scam techniques, including the one Kai fell victim to. Fake loans or scholarships, fake contests. There are also scams where on a cash app like Venmo, Someone might reach out to a young person and say, oh, I accidentally sent you some money. Can you send it back to me? Then they learn that they never actually got the money in the first place. So it's as if somebody stole money from them. There are also people who will pose as other teenagers when they're really adults. There are also instances of sextortion where an older person will claim that they have compromising photos of a young person. and threaten them that if they don't pay money, they're going to, you know, spread them around the internet. Jason Hebbard, the agent in charge of the high-tech crimes unit of the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, says between 2017 and 2021, online scams targeting teens and tweens skyrocketed. It's jumped to 1,126% that's reported, so it may be actually very higher, like much higher than that. Those most at risk and easiest to target are tweens transitioning to their teen years, since they're still learning about social media and cannot easily identify scams, says Hebrard. Sextortion especially appears to be on the rise. According to the FBI, 40,000 cases of sextortion were reported last year. Hebrard says there are a lot of different ways scams can affect victims. 
They can go anywhere from just embarrassment and loss of money all the way up to we've had kids in the past who have felt that they had no other way out and they ended up dealing with self-harm up to and including taking their own lives. Laws are slowly catching up to the rapid pace of digital scams. One state law in South Carolina punishes extortion as a felony. It was introduced by state lawmaker whose 17-year-old son, Gavin Duffy, committed suicide after an online persona posing as a teenage girl, threatening to share explicit pictures of him to his family and friends. Agent Hebbard has a few tips on how to prevent getting scammed and what to look out for. If anybody ever asks you for your social security number other than your parents, that should be a red flag. Do you have usernames that include your full name or profiles that include your date of birth? Hebbard says don't do that. That's the first place people are going to start to look to try to accumulate information about you. He says don't click on random stuff or accept weird requests. Don't interact with people you don't know. Don't share your password even with someone you're close to, but especially with someone you don't know. Educate yourselves in what the mechanisms were, what scam text messages actually look like. And then last but not least, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. We've all heard that, I think, from our parents, grandparents, on TV. Well, it's absolutely correct. Many teens and younger adults don't report falling victims to scams because of embarrassment or not wanting to get their family or friends involved. As a 15-year-old teenager myself, one thing I've learned is to trust my instincts and to never be afraid to ask for help. Jason Hebrard says that teenagers should always reach out to their parents or loved ones for help and that no matter what, there is always a way out. For KGNU, I'm Emily Cecilo. Access to one of Colorado's 14ers has been closed since March due to legal ambiguity over liability in the event of injuries. The so-called Decalibron Loop is a hiking circuit, including Mounts Democrat, Cameron, Lincoln, and Bross. The latter is off-limits due to concerns about open mine shafts and the lawsuits they may provoke. But that doesn't mean hikers are staying off the mountain. CityCast Denver host Bree Davies and producer Paul Caroli spoke with Westward staffer Benito Kelty, who recently wrote about his unauthorized hiking trip. The outlet's editor, Patty Calhoun, joined the conversation to discuss the blowback and Westward's refusal to take down Kelty's piece. I went to hike the Decalbron Loop just the day after it had opened. I wasn't intending to hike the um, still forbidden Mount Bross, but um, once I had climbed about 2,000 feet or so, um, I figured, well, we're almost right there and we saw other people coming up, so... I wasn't the only one to climb it, but I was the only one to come home and write about it. So once that article published, uh, and a lot of uh, hikers were were pretty upset. Yeah, people had some strong choice. opinions for you, definitely. But why why in the first place was this place so like fraught in the first place? Like you said, it was just open. What's the whole situation? Right. So since March, the owner of the peaks that uh, make up the Decalbron Loop, so Democrat Cameron and Lincoln and Bross. He had closed access to those trails out of concern that some of the mines that are out there, because it used to be a site for mining gold and silver, would leave him liable to a lawsuit 
uh, that he couldn't afford. Um, he had seen what went on with a case with the Colorado Springs uh, Air Force Academy. A cyclist had hit a, a sinkhole, um, injured themselves, and, and sued. He was hoping the state legislator may step in with a, um, you know, some kind of law to protect him from that kind of liability. But when that failed in March, he, he immediately decided to close it down. Ross itself is a little bit more of a quagmire because he's not the sole owner of mining claims on, on Mount Bross. And this is what I learned from talking to the head of the Colorado 14er Initiative. And, and that one's a bit more complex. So it remained closed after John Ryber, the owner of the other three peaks, uh, opened the rest of the, the trail. Patty, this issue with the mineral rights and the liability for hikers, is that something that's been going on for a long time? This is the first time I had heard about it. In the hiking world, it has been a hot topic for decades. We found some stories that were written 20 years ago, various times when the peaks were closed off. And a lot of people don't understand why mineral rights alone can be a reason you can't get access. Why A lot of people don't understand that the mountains are not owned by the state of Colorado or the feds in many cases. In some cases, they are. So there was some negotiating behind the scenes to get these peaks open. It was the Colorado 14er Initiative, Polis's office, I believe, got involved. They worked to open these other two peaks. But People are still climbing a lot of peaks without permission. And once we heard Benito had, we said, might as well fess up and write about that too. <laughs> well, then I guess that brings us back to this hot water that y'all got into. You got some complaints from folks. I mean, the one in particular that you all ended up publishing was from the head of the Colorado 14ers Initiative. And a, and a woman who is chair Emily of a group Steele. working to mm-hmm. change the law in the Colorado legislature so that people would have access to these peaks. So, so it was pushback from people that want folks to be able to hike but in the, in are the, worried the in moment, the meantime, irresponsible reporters will make sure that no one can go. Well, they their argument, just to give them their space, they say respecting the closure by not trespassing is essential to keeping this loop open. Uh, this reporter's choice, I guess that's you, Benito, to not only trespass on the Brass Summit, but to publicly brag about it and laud other renegades who violated the closure risks access to the Decalibron loop for all hikers. I would argue if you read the story, he's not bragging, he's not lauding, but he's admitting what he did, which we suggested. We knew it would cause conversation, but we weren't going to say he hadn't done it. Well, what do you think about their argument, though, for taking this down and for for not risking the, the loop for everyone else? Well, I'm certainly opposed to taking it down. I think it's important to have that conversation up about whether or not uh, we should be able to access it and also why it's not accessible. Um, you know, just as a principle of, you know, having that discussion and keeping, you know, westward a forum, I think it's important to keep that article up. Um, but I understand, you know, why they're upset if there's, if there's a lot of work that went into opening the trail. And I agree that, you know, people should be aware of, of what's going on up there before they hike up there, or even if they make the decision to go on to Bras, I think they should at least be informed. So what happens if someone reads your article and goes up there and gets hurt? Well, there's signs up there. I mean, we are not the only we are not the only people who have ever done this or talked about it too. So, yes, it would be on them. Benita, what do you think about the idea of someone owning a mountain? It's um, a shocking, surprising concept that that someone owns that peak. Um, It's not totally unbelievable, but yeah, it is. It is strange to to think about um, someone owning 
a, a summit just because it's you know you go up there you feel so free you feel so so far you know from from everything else in life it's so strange to think well somebody owns this and this private property but when i was going up i remember one of the hikers that i passed whom i quoted in the story she said you know these parks should be accessible or or you know these peaks should be open to everyone something along those lines and it it sounded like that was the the key idea I think that a lot of uh, hikers have, or where it sums up just the idea that that a lot of hikers like myself, my friend had, which is that you know these are peaks, you know if we can walk there, we feel like it's part of nature, you know, we want to be able to go up there and it take be in open. That, that view, yeah. And that's yeah. a good argument for all these people to start pushing legislators and get involved with the group which was involved in that rebuttal to push legislators to make sure there is liability so that people who have mineral rights or other property claims up there will still allow hikers. What changes are they pushing for specifically? Like what I didn't understand what that how the biggest the- issue is just liability. So part part of it is you're supposed to post, you know, no trespassing or danger or at your own risk. Well the signs come down. So the the problem is if the signs come down, because I think they said a sign came down in two weeks, if the sign comes down, is the property owner or the rights owner liable again? So you could come up with loopholes through the legislature that would protect the people with those rights from being sued by climbers. Hmm, some kind of loophole. The other thing that was interesting to me is the assumptions that are made on all sides in every story about Benito, go back to Texas about his lineage. You know, and Benito, he can speak for himself, but he's been climbing mountains here for a long time. He's from here. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm from Aurora, Colorado. Were people accusing you of just being a a transplant stomping on the mountain? (laughs) Coming to Colorado with no respect for Uh, for this land. mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I remember I grew up on in Aurora near Parker Peoria area, and I, I think anyone in Aurora knows that like if you drive down like Yale or I live, you can see like Grays and Tories in the distance on a clear day. So you know, yeah, I, I mean, I have a great amount of respect for for these 14ers and for these peaks, um, and I think you know so do all the hikers that that went up there, and all the hikers who said stuff like you know find me. Um, but you know, I think they they still do care a lot about the 14ers. I don't think I think one thing we would all have in common is that you know. If we saw someone littering up there i think we would all you know be be angry both the people who who are are you know for keeping it off limits and people who think it shouldn't be off limits and there was one part i remember trying to touch on slightly in my article which was that uh my friend caden and i the the other person my friend with whom i i went up that your peak, accomplice yeah <laughs> my accomplice and my partner in crime um, we had been complaining like the previous week about how you have to reserve a parking spot for Quandry Peak. And I remember we, we talked for like, you know, the whole way back from Fair Play to Aurora, just how ludicrous it is that to access these spots where we remember going and, and where we used to drive out to, you know, two hours from, from Aurora, Denver up 70 or down 285. And, and I felt like the whole place was just kind of open and it's just not that way anymore. And I remember us just uh, feeling that it's so crazy how off limits things are. And, and maybe that played in a bit to, you know, go go up to that peak. But we definitely feel like, you know, we wish we could just walk around, and explore our home state, you know. Patty, how about you? Um, what do you think, you know, big picture, this whole affair says about our relationship with our mountains? 
that we really need to talk about it. I mean, mm-hmm. just on all sides, on what we want from Colorado, how we become stewards of the, the land. And I think the issue here is, should someone with mineral rights be able to restrict access? Are there ways we can get around that? But it gets into how much people love the outdoors and how much access there should be. And it extends beyond those who can drive cars to Quandary Peak, even if they couldn't get parking places to those in the inner city. And how do you get there? And I will also say, I am sure this will not be the last time a Westward reporter has broken a law. <laughs> it's happened <laughs> before. Or you've been and called to happen. take something down and said, absolutely not. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, Patty Calhoun, Benito Kelty, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. You just heard an excerpt from CityCast Denver, the local Denver daily news podcast. Learn more about subscribing to the podcast at denver.citycast.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Benita Lee produced the headlines. Thanks to Ivana Olivas, Jacob Agatston, Jack Armstrong, Alexis Kenyon, Emily Cecilo, and the CityCast Denver crew for their contributions to today's show. If you'd like to comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave us a voicemail at 303-447-9911. We play the messages back on Tuesdays during the Morning Magazine. Stay tuned for a commentary from Jim Hightower. And then it's Storytellers of Color with Rosanna Longo Better. That's just after the news update from the BBC.